Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday morning, this opportunity to be gathered together as your people and to receive the blessings of life and salvation that you have in store for us through your word and the person and work of your son, Jesus. Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, we ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to be with us even here and now in this moment as we receive your word. Remember the story and also respond to that word with lives of dedicated service to you and to your people. Lord, this is our prayer this day and we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. It's great to see you here this morning. Thank you for being here. It's an interesting story, this Tower of Babel. And I was sharing with a friend that I was going to be preaching on this, this particular passage this morning on Pentecost Sunday. A lot of times preachers will choose the Acts 2 reading and preach on the Holy Spirit and the start of the Christian church. And we'll certainly make reference to that. But my friend said, oh, no, though, Brad, that's perfect for you, Babel, because of all the confusing talk and meandering illustrations. So yeah, that should be... And I said, thanks. He said, you're welcome. And that's why we're friends. But there are actually blessings from this account of the Tower of Babel and from this cautionary tale that God provides for us as his people. And I'd like to share some of those with you this morning. First is this. There is strength in unity. Strength in unity. You've heard the terms when it comes to sports teams, whether it's youth sports or high school teams, college or pro. Teamwork makes the dream work. Team stands for together everyone achieves more. There is no I in team. But then there's that one person who always says, yeah, but there is a me. I'm like, yeah, you're on the bench. <laughs> I, I like this one best. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think about that one when I think about our congregation with our rich history and heritage, with uh, God's protection and provision of our ministries here and now, and with the future, whatever it holds. I know that God holds us, and I know that together, God will continue to be with us and bless us. I wanna do this together with you. But now, as we are able to be quite self-sufficient as individuals and as primary family that's on our own here and now today, back in the ancient Near East, if you were an individual or a family, you would want to group together with others because times were different back then. You needed the protection and the provision of other people to provide for you in that particular context. To acquire land, to grow and to gather food, to divide labor, and of course to protect the tribe. Not as essential for us here and now today because we can take care of ourselves with technology and innovation being what it is and modern conveniences. But at that time, people need each other and so people gathered together in family groups to form tribes and larger people groups. But this particular move by the sons of men gathering together on the plains of Shinar in Genesis 11 to construct a grand tower goes beyond provision of people and protection of the tribe, their goal is pride, and their destination will be dispersion. The problem of pride. Now, I know it's not you, and it's certainly not me. I mean, I'm the most humble person I know. But I've heard there are others who struggle with pride. 
pride as it seeps into our minds and, and mixes our thoughts. It goes beyond self-assurance or self-confidence that can certainly come from God and our acknowledgement of his work in our lives and the gifts that he has given to us to help others and bless others. But this pride that says, I'm not only going to discern what is right and wrong, what is good and right for me to do, but instead I am actually going to determine what is right and wrong for me by myself. It's this kind of pride that motivates many to disbelieve the claims of the Christian faith. Many atheists and agnostics, those who do not believe in God, those who do not believe there is enough evidence for the existence of God, they speak against the claims of the Christian faith sometimes because of family origin issues, especially with parent figures, hurt feelings from leaders or people in the church because we haven't treated people well over the decades, or because of accountability to a higher power that would change their lifestyle or their choices. There are very few ardent atheists that present either a theological or logical objection to the Christian faith that do not stem from being hurt by their family or their church or that desire lifestyle free from expectation or accountability. English author and writer Aldous Huxley said this decades ago, but I believe it's still relevant for many today. He was an atheist. He said, for myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of living life without God of meaning and purpose in life without God was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the Christian idea of morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. I want this world not to have meaning because it frees me to my own erotic pursuits. The pursuit of pride at all costs determining what is good and evil for ourselves will invariably result in personal depravity and dispersion of community. Now, we're going to move over in this direction as the camera follows me because we're going to take a brief excursus from our message and we are going to talk about... There we go. We're going to talk about bricks. We're going to talk about bricks. Genesis 11, the people gather together and they say, hey, let's make a brick building party. And people actually come to this and they think it's great. We're going to bake bricks and we're going to bake them thoroughly. And this is going to be great. And with these bricks, we're going to construct this massive monument to humanity. It's going to be great. Why all the fuss? Why all the discussion? Why all the celebration of bricks? Well, it might be for this reason. At that time, if you wanted to construct a large facility or building or monument, you would have to cut stone. Cutting stone was time-consuming, and it included a lot of people in the process. Now you think, well, Pastor Brad, maybe you just cut little stones. Well, yeah, you could cut little stones, but every cut took so much time to make. So you're, you're expending time and energy and resources in abundance when you're cutting stone. But with bricks, you can mix it together, you can form them, you can bake them, and then you can put them together using mortar. Bricks made buildings much more efficient. You could build more with fewer people. And as a result, you could build bigger and higher, especially when all the people were together and all of them were sharing one common language. 
Now, back to the message. The results of the people's pride and this innovative process of brick making culminates in the construction of the Tower of Babel. You, see, you have the people, you sense their pride, and you see their process. But there's one problem. They do not have the permission, the presence, or the blessing of God. You know, it's interesting. God sees this and responds. He sees what's happening. He arrives on the scene and he disrupts the construction of this tower and disperses the people. But why? What's the big deal? What's wrong with building a big building? What's wrong with putting our name on it? What's the problem? Well, the problem, number one, is pride. Number two, the problem is that when people start calculating life without God, bad things happen. Not necessarily for God, but for them. And that's why God has given us commands. That's why in his word, he gives us cautionary tales like this one. That's why he gives illustrations and examples of making better choices as opposed to making worse choices. And that's why he's asking us to place him first in our lives. Recall the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. First command, you will have no other gods before me. Why does God say this? Is it that his divine ego needs a boost? Probably not. But is it that life and relationships work best when we first regard him? I think that's more like it. Recall also that even before God gives that first command, God reminds the people, the children of Israel, with Moses as their leader, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the hand of the Pharaoh. Therefore, you will have no other gods before me. God's redemption precedes his righteous demands. God's blessings of salvation through Christ precede his call to live life more fully for him and for others. The grace comes before the law. Interesting principle there. And certainly it's applicable not only back then, but here today. Friends, God is jealous for us, not because our attention feeds his divine ego, but because by making God a priority in life, it's what's best for us in our relationships with one another. The first commandment orders our lives in this way, and because of that, blessings flow into all areas of life when we keep God first place. So God is dispersing people. He's confusing languages so that they will continue to fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, take care of it, and be good stewards of it. Remember, the command to Adam and Eve, also the reminder to Noah and his descendants, you shall fill the earth and rule over it. You shall reproduce and make more people like you. It's interesting. On very rare occasions, you see God confusing people and dispersing people. Sometimes when other nations in the Old Testament would rise up and challenge God's people, the Israelites, God would send the other armies into confusion. Sometimes he'd do this through prayer, sometimes with the presence of an angel. And, and oftentimes you see this, this principle at play that while God's desire is to unite people around him, and his plan of salvation through his son Jesus, there will be times when God disperses people and confuses them. And when is that? When they don't have their priorities in order. When they're not keeping God first place. 
when they have in mind the things of man instead of the things of God. Usually God's promise is to communicate the promises of salvation in Christ to people and help unite people and focus their attention and service. We see this, the opposite of this principle, played out in the Pentecost event that Mrs. Mueller read earlier from Acts chapter 2. All people are gathered together in Jerusalem. They're there to celebrate the Pentecost event. They're celebrating. They're there to celebrate a special festival of their particular religious calendar. And as such, there's people from different people groups, different languages, different customs and cultures. But they're there because they're believing in the Lord and they're trusting in God and his word. And as they're gathered together there from all over the place, all of a sudden, these Galileans, these guys from the area of the Sea of Galilee, fishermen and other types, they start speaking in other languages. And what are they sharing with people? The mighty works of God. The plans and purposes of the Lord about the person and work of Christ. Interesting. The Holy Spirit equips and empowers ordinary people to talk about the things of God. To declare his mighty works and to tell others about Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit's work. At Pentecost, this is the Holy Spirit's work for us today. This interesting, this unity of people from all tribes and languages and different groups coming together at Pentecost is actually a reflection of what will happen at the end of time when Christ returns. So the Christian church started with unity and diversity and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit all focusing people on salvation in Christ. When Christ returns, there will be a gathering of all kinds of people from every tribe, from every nation, from every language under heaven. And we'll be at the foot of the throne of the Lamb of God. This Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The one who said, it is finished. The one who says, behold, I'm making all things new. We will be there gathered together with Jesus with everyone who's ever lived, all people from all places, and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And God's promise for you is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That promise is sure and certain because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and because of the sending of the Holy Spirit who serves as a seal of our God-given faith and a guarantee that the messages of Christ can be trusted. Back to Babel, friends. The Tower of Babel certainly is this cautionary tale for us, providing an example of God's judgment against idolatry and also what causes we support. Because as Human beings, we tend to get excited. We get excited about new things. We get excited about things that, that bring uh, up emotion within ourselves. We get excited about things that challenge us or perhaps even encourage us. We get excited about things that we like. And some of us like politics, and so we like to focus there. Some of us like uh, personal pursuits, like hobbies and that kind of thing, and so we focus there. Some of us like to work, so we focus there. Some of us like our families, so we focus there. And the caution is this. It's wonderful to have all kinds of interests. 
and hobbies. It's beautiful to take care of your family. It's okay to take care of your property. It's okay to have different interests, but not at the expense of your relationship with God. God desires to be first place in our lives. And as he is first place, God promises us that he will continue to be with us and bless us and help us be a good spouse, a good parent and grandparent, a good worker, a good person in the community, and to have a home and land and possessions for ourselves, not just for ourselves, but also in service to others. One of the greatest temptations we have as people is to place other things in life ahead of our priority of worshiping and serving the Lord. I was driving to the big church this morning and it was about seven o'clock. There were families and folks already out there on the ball fields getting ready to play their games for the day. And some of our families are kind of moving in and out of worship or moving from home back to the fields all throughout this weekend and certainly today uh, to catch their children or grandchildren playing sports. I was a youth sports coach for my children, my older uh, three boys, for the better part of a decade. And in that time, you go to all kinds of games and all kinds of tournaments and spend all kinds of money going from place to place, practice to practice, game to game, tournament to tournament, and competition to competition. And every level, and every, <laughs> and every part of the state. And there's blessing in that. There's good things that sports can provide, and it was good times uh, at times with, for fathers and sons to spend time together. And yet there are also times when youth sports wanted to become a master of our family, dictating our calendar, preventing us from trying to worship together, preventing us from having a, a regular summer, um, interrupting our patterns and lifestyle. And so, so every once in a while we had to make sure that we'd keep this in check. I remember one time um, this tournament came up in basketball season. It was Valentine's Day weekend and it was a tournament that apparently the school system had every year for, for youth sports, for youth basketball. And there were games Saturday and Sunday. And sure enough, I've got to get ahead of this because I know what's going to happen. The pastor's kid and the pastor as coach are going to have the early Sunday morning game, right? And what's he going to choose? Is he going to cave to the ways of the world? Or is he going to be holy and righteous and, and, and not play and participate in that game? So in my wisdom, which is probably my wife's wisdom, she said, why don't you talk, call the tournament organizer and see if we can get an afternoon game time on Sunday? And so I did. His name was Tony. And I called Tony. I said, Tony, this is Brad Hubbard. Hi, how you doing? I said, good. I said, hey, um, on Sunday for the tournament coming up, um, I work at a church on Sunday mornings. I'm a pastor. And some of our students, student athletes, will actually want to worship on Sunday morning. Is it okay if we get a game time in the afternoon? He said, sure, what time do you want? I said, anything after two would be great. He goes, okay, you got it. That was the extent of the conversation. We didn't get through out of the tournament. Everybody still played. We won, we lost, we laughed, we cried. We had a good time. And we didn't have to sacrifice Sunday morning together for worship. Now there's some times when maybe that can't be helped. But I want to encourage you to consider that it might be easier than you think to make God a priority. And that lesson will stick with your children and grandchildren in those small ways when you stand up for what you believe. And friends, to be honest, 
if everyone stood up for what we believed, we wouldn't have any activities or events on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings. But of course now, no day is sacred, except if you make it sacred. All right, so what do we take away from this morning and this account of the Tower of Babel? I think there's five things that I'd like you to consider. First, there is power and unity that can be leveraged for good or evil. And of course, God wants us to acknowledge him as we make our plans and prioritize our pursuits. Number two, the Tower of Babel informs us of how the human race has spread and become more diverse in the shading of our skin, the creation of our cultures, and the complexity of our languages as people. One of our school groups goes down to, or actually our school group every year goes down to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. And it's uh, kind of half in Ohio and half in um, Kentucky there. And um, they are in the Answers in Genesis, which sponsors both exhibits and attractions, is working on creating a Tower of Babel on one of their campuses. And so this will be a part of those attractions in the coming years. So we look forward to that and their apologetic approach to defending the first uh, section of the book of Genesis. Number three, the confusion and dispersion at the Tower of Babel show passion and persistence from God for his people to bring all people to repentance and faith in Christ. Demonstrating that God will take extreme measures to ensure that people will consider who he is and invite them to come and have saving faith through his son. Fourth, the Holy Spirit's arrival at Pentecost empowers and equips people to receive saving faith in Christ and then share saving faith in Christ and to promote unity among diversity that exists currently in the church and will certainly exist when Christ comes again. We will be sharing the kingdom of God in heaven with all kinds of people from all different places, with all different shading of skin color, from all cultures and customs and languages, all who place their hope and trust in the Lord. And fifth and finally, friends, the purpose. The purpose of the church of 2022. We are the church of 2022. We are a part of all body of believers in Jesus Christ all over the world. We are certainly a part of this particular tribe, St. Lawrence Lutheran Church here in Frankenmuth, Michigan. And we're part of Luther, the Lutheran Christian faith all over the planet as well. But for us, the purpose is the same. To receive saving faith in Christ, to share saving faith in Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit who will give us the opportunities to do that. Converting someone else is not your responsibility. Sharing the love of Jesus with others is your responsibility. Knowing all the right things to say and having the exact right words to say it, maybe not your giftedness. That's okay. You can listen to someone. Being able to stand up and, and give an apologetic, a defense for the Christian faith and what you believe, that might not be your calling, but it is your calling to come alongside someone and love them when they are hurting or feeling down. And friends, that's why we have this blessings of the body of Christ, that we can combine all our gifts, all our talents, all our abilities, and go out into a world that is hurting and in need and offer the light and love of Jesus to share with them. Friends, may God continue to bless us and be with us and provide us with faith and unity in Christ Jesus our Lord, even in the midst of division and dispersion. God's promise is sure and certain, and he promises to be there for us and to bless us. And all God's people said, amen.